I want to ask you, in this particular context, at this particular time, that if I refer to Simon Freud, don't get offended. <laughs> so, during the years of studying things, obviously I've had to study some of his things, his theories and so on, and I've rejected most of it in its application. But, in trying to understand the working of the human psyche, the brain, physiologically, and connecting it with our understanding of spiritual things, there's no way you can actually go and do research without having to look at Freud. And it just gives us an idea of the influence and impact this guy, amongst others. Of course, there's others, and he's not... He's, is uh, theorizing is not the only um, stream of thinking, but he had an immense impact. And the reality is that uh, most people think, right, most people that know about him, think that he was just sitting in an office on a chair, hatching ideas around psychology. No, he spent most of his time actually um, doing clinical research. Most of his time, a minimal portion of his time, he actually spent doing psychology directly. Okay. And so this guy, for his time, he was a foremost neuro neurologist, and he studied the brain, studied the working of. Uh, the different uh, nerve systems and the interactions and all those things. So we cannot just, as Christians, ignore and reject all the research that has gone into psychology and all the different aspects of it. Okay, so I want to make that clear. Instead of having a fear response to a secular discipline, we're going to look at it and say, what can we learn from what they think they know? Their application is secular. We look at what the, the data they've accumulated. Because the data is real. It's still real. Mm. Data is still data real. Data is real. Mm. The application, mm. we're not that interested. Mm. Yeah. So we're wise enough to go and it's like, I know there's some people when something goes wrong with their car, they insist they're just going to lay hands and Thing fixed. Including yourself. Including myself. But there is, there's, there's, there's times when I have to admit to myself, just go to the petrol station and put some fuel in the tank. Okay? So, go the secular route when it makes sense and evidence proves that it works. Okay? So, I'm still going to put fuel in the tank and just drive the thing. Or I could spend hours and days and weeks fasting and praying and try and get the thing to go. So see how it works. And when it comes to psychology and all the other uh, disciplines of study that's trying to figure out how does the human work. So that's what it's basically about. There's been a lot of research over many years trying to figure out how does the human function, why are we functioning the way we are. And we are 
very interesting creatures. <laughs> a tiger, as beautiful and complex a creature as it is, is that if it hasn't eaten for a month, and you put it in a cage <coughs> and you drop a little lamb into the cage, the outcome is certain. The tiger is not going to weigh up certain <laughs> things and think his way through it. There's no moral <laughs> implication. Maybe the lamb should live it has its entire life in front of it. <laughs> but when I'm starving and you give me a bunny, no matter how much I know I've got to eat it, there's going to be a complex process that's going to happen in my brain. Even more complex if you give the bunny to Leon. <laughs> 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 the bunny will end up nibbling on Leon's school. <laughs> Something in her natural brain processes is going to go horribly wrong. About to die. <laughs> where I'm going to experience some conflict but I can guarantee you I'm going to eat the bunny <laughs> if I have to eat the draw I'll eat the draw but I'll eat it. it's a matter of fact I'll probably eat it way because I way before I get to the point of starvation when I start feeling hungry, I'm already going to consider eating You're gonna the bunny. You're going to sit there and go, like, if, I, if I look at you this way, you look like a chocolate Easter bunny. I'm going to a lift bunny. I know I can eat you. That's what we're going to explore a little bit today, but it is in context to a very spiritual uh, factor, a very spiritual part of our walk. So I mentioned that it felt like we, we grew, we had a very nice growing curve to a certain point, but then we got a little bit stuck and we, we're seeing that everybody's a little bit stuck there. And my job is to figure out what's the next step. So I seek the Lord for it and what the Lord does is He comes and points to some things that I already have in my brain and He starts using that to open up new answers. I don't sit there with no information and no research whatsoever and wait for hours until I have a vision that gives me the answer. That's not my process. I search the scriptures and the Lord starts to speak to me according to prompts, real life, real world things that I can look at, use. And then the Holy Spirit gives me the wisdom to interpret it in a certain way. Okay, does it make sense? So this guy, Freud, <coughs> theorized. He constructed theoretical ideas, theoretical constructs. With other words, he, ob he took his observations and arrived at phenomenal answers that he didn't yet have proof for. 
So there wasn't enough time for enough studies over a long enough period to happen for him to say, I can prove my theory, but he constructed theories from observations. And this is why he's so significant, because if I look at what he had to work with and what he arrived at, mm -hmm. it almost looks like someone from another realm spoke to the guy. And we can all theorize about who was speaking to him. Mm -hmm. But I, my theory is this. If there's going to be this key person that's going to influence thinking uh, about how humans work, and it's going to influence the global thinking, mm -hmm. then Satan's going to try and talk to him, and God is going to talk to him. Whether he believes in God or not <coughs> is actually irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Because it now would now be in everybody's best interest if God just fed him a few relevant pieces of information. And that's why I'm not scared to look at these significant people's work when they formed, they helped form the world as we know it. They helped to form whatever we think we know. We got something somewhere. Mm -hmm. So everybody in this room has heard the word ego used before. Mm -hmm. And have probably used it themselves. Has anybody heard someone say, in any context, to someone else, you standing in your own way? You know that it's actually the concept behind that saying had to originate somewhere, and it was in context to psychology. It was one of Freud's theories that became uh, absorbed into human consciousness. And they don't know where it comes from anymore. They don't have the context, but they'll say, you're the one standing in your own way. What is it referred to? Something in your thinking is interfering with your progress. That's what it means, you're standing in your own way. Mm -hmm. well, something in your... In, the, in, in your actions, your behavior is <coughs> causing you not to progress. That's what standing in your own way basically means. So we've just gone from a saying to something that's got to do with what's happening in here, and that's psychology. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. All right. And when it comes to the term ego, it originated somewhere. And it was actually a scientific construct, ego. Hmm. Not just an idea. So Freud and others formulated something they called ego to represent. It's a placeholder for a bunch of ideas, theories. So it's a theoretical construct. Ego is a theoretical construct. But it was absorbed into uneducated man's ideas and linger, and it became something else. Mm. Mm. But it still connects to the original truth. Mm. So, have you ever, everybody knows the idea of in, an inflated ego. <laughs> right? You know, this has its origin in psychology. It's not just an idea. In science. So, we are going to just try and explain 
these theoretical constructs to all of you so that we can figure out how do we progress in renewing the mind because that's what the Bible says, renew the mind or renew the spirit of your mind what's it referring to? So my logic says, the better we understand what my, everything that's in there, what it's going to do, the better I understand it, the better I can interact with myself to renew the mind. Because it tells you to renew the spirit of your mind. It doesn't say, ask the Lord to come and renew the spirit of your mind. Does it say, ask the Lord, pray for the Lord? It says you have to do it. And here we see something extremely interesting. The Bible represents the same idea that Freud had. Freud theorized that you are not your thoughts or your emotions. emotions. He theorized that you could influence you. Hmm. So you could separate, apart from you, you could separate from all the other stuff that's happening. And the Bible says, you renew your mind. Think about what I'm saying. We have a correlation between Hmm. psychology and what the Bible says. Hmm. So even though his application might not have been of a biblical standard, he still identified something real, something valid. Um, that when we look from the word's perspective, we can go, okay, wait, how can we use this to our advantage and apply it in a spiritual way, mm. biblical way? <clears throat> and so we read something like this, you renew the spirit of your mind. And without stopping to think what we just are supposed to do, we kind of blunder into it. We're just going to go do it. We never stop and go like, wait, how does this work? I'm supposed to do something to change me. Not God, not the church. I'm supposed to be involved in a process that changes me. How do I renew my mind? So we just assume we know. No wonder we're doomed to failure. Because we don't stop and think, okay, wait, 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 wait. Do I even understand the instruction here? So we just assume I'm going to read as much Bible as possible and that should do it. And then we read far less than we should have. And we go like, I'm struggling to read the Bible. Let me just go to church every Sunday. That should do it. Now we're going to talk about the problem that comes with that approach. So a lot of people went like, no, I can't do this on my own. And I don't feel like doing it on my own. As a matter of fact, I don't want to do it on my own. As a matter of fact, I'd like someone else to do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) So the Lord says, you you renew your mind. I'm going like, it's his job. He's the priest. Right? Daily devotional. That's my answer. 
Lord says, renew your mind and heart. Here's my daily devotion, oh Lord. All I have to do is read it on the right day. If I fall behind, I just catch up. I read like four days in a row. It's going to take you like half an hour. Literally like they've now constructed it. It's easy. You just have an app. I've now seen there's an app that says, do you struggle to find time to pray? Well, on this app, all you have to do is take literally one minute and read the prayer that we have prepared for you for the day. Yeah. Easy, busy, lemon squeezy, and then take it off your list. Now that's where we've gotten to. So, you see, we've taken what the Bible instructs us to work on, and we outsource the whole thing. We just put it in someone else's hands. Okay, so let's get back to how this works. So, there's a reason why humanity's um, mindset has developed in this direction. And you can explain to us. So, what we're going to endeavor to do first is just try and get us on the same page. Because we assume we're on the same page. I haven't read your book. The one you're having there, you haven't seen mine. By communicating, we get some idea of what's going on. But your book might be written, it might look like a children's book. A few pictures, very little, you know, others. Uh, books might be written the way it looks like Greek. Uh, you would struggle to read mine. Okay, fair enough. Just because it's messy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's quickly stop. Whatever you have in there right now. Do you understand that it's not necessarily the same as mine? If I say ship, I'm assuming that you're having the same picture in your mind as I do. Who's got Titanic? Anybody? <laughs> do you have Titanic? Oh my word, you guys are on the same page. <laughs> Where's the Columbus's ship? Ah. Who had a, a pleasure, modern pleasure cruiser? Cruiser. You see, I have Columbus's old ship with the, the things. She has a cruise ship. <laughs> you had a Musk, Musk, what? I had one of those as well, like a container ship. Really? Okay. You see, so I say chef, I'm assuming that you're picturing the same thing as I am. Okay, so the picture that we have wouldn't necessarily be the same. But somehow, Hmm. we assume we're all talking about the same thing. Right, now we're going to start exploring. How did we develop to get here? Okay, so we're going to start with the scripture that we read on, was it last Sunday or was it Thursday? I can't remember, the one in 1 John. 
Chapter 5. Was it last Sunday? Last Sunday. Oh, you can remember. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Right. Now, this is where the exercise starts, guys. You're going to think in a whole new way. Okay? If we can force our brains to do new things, we can grow. Mm. Makes sense. So it says, keeps himself. <laughs> Same kind of language that says, you renew your mind. Mm. Now the Bible says that he who's been born of God keeps himself. So there's a little you inside of your brain that's supposed to manage you. So he's running around, getting like, nose up here, don't do that. No. No, don't go there. Nose up here, stop that. Stop this up Stop. I give up, Lord. Give me another home. So... Okay, so did you just think about what this says? Keep himself. How do you keep yourself? Manages. Have you really thought about it? Mm. You decide. You decide? You do it. Is this exactly. right or is this wrong? But it says that those who are born of God keeps themselves to such a degree that they never sin. That's a whole lot of decision making <laughs> <laughs> needs to take place. You see, do we really stop and think? What is this saying? He keeps himself and he doesn't sin. Yes. How is it different? Well, the self-control, the aspect of that. Yes, that's what we're going to explore today. Because we know we have self-control, but we don't know how it functions. Mm -hmm. If we can figure out how it functions, then maybe we can have more of it. Mm. Okay, who feel they have enough self-control? <laughs> <laughs> You feel they have 50% self-control. <coughs> There's no way for you to measure. Mm. How much self-control do you have? Full measures, you must use. Pardon? You must use full measures. Full measures. Um, that's not what I have. <laughs> that's what we need. That's what we need. <laughs> what does that look like, though? How do you even start to measure your yeah. self-control? How, how would you measure it? Because the problem is, you're a liar. So if you want to know how much self-control you have, don't ask you. The other you. It's like a child asking their mother how they generally are doing general. The answer is not going to be right. Mm. You know? For most parents. I know for a fact that when it comes to evaluating Johannes, Leon's okay, but he's biased. <laughs> when it comes to evaluating Johannes, very biased. <laughs> Before Johannes 
you can even think of making an excuse. Leon has figured out exactly what the excuse should be. What <laughs> <laughs> excuse, dude? <laughs> He's my favorite son. You see? <laughs> exactly. Now, I'm going to tell you a, a bit of a secret. I am my favorite person. <laughs> so I'm biased. <laughs> okay, now continue to the rest of the scriptures. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's read from verse 20. Oh, let's just read from verse 22. <laughs> that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Who feels that they've done that? We're saved, right? So we've put on the new man, or are we supposed to put on the new man continuously? Continuously. How are we doing with that? Not good. <laughs> read, just read the last bit, because we've got to get some idea of this new man. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. How are we doing with that? <laughs> so it went from not good... It should have plummeted when we read what it was created according to. Mm. According to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're supposed to be putting on. Okay. And the Bible says we should get there. So it's, it's not an idea. It's not a far-off goal. The Bible goes like, just do it. To do that, you have to put off the old man who grows corrupt. Okay, so we're getting the picture of what the Bible refers to. Can we use psychology to figure out how this works? That's the question on the table today. Yes. Oh. Mm. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, uh, verse 9 and 10, sorry. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And Paul is quite nice. He's kind of writing, assuming that we have done it. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So the new man has been renewed in knowledge according to an image. It's not just knowledge. The new man has been renewed in knowledge full measures according to the image of him who created him. So there is an image, something to behold, something, a reflection or an image or a representative of. Okay. So we know from previous studies that that new man is created in the same image. And that's who we are supposed to be in <coughs> renewal. 
And when you're always supposed to develop, that's the putting on. We now know that it's not a once-off, it's a development. Mm. It's a combination of learning and overcoming. Mm. That's God's salvation plan. And the ultimate outcome of that is the exact same image of the one who created us. Created according to God in all righteousness and holiness. Sounds good. Sounds like exactly the opposite of who I am right now. Mm. And yet I've already embraced the process of putting off the old man and putting on the new man quite extensively. Putting a lot of work and time into it. Mm. Today we're going to try and understand why <coughs> it's time and what the process is. And why, I'm going to show you, why we have to uh, um, succeed, why we can succeed, why success is virtually guaranteed if we understand the process. Okay. Do you want to read another one over this? Is that it? I have more. Let me just read this one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Okay, so there's a renewal of the inward man day by day. If we can just figure out exactly how that process works, it should get easier. Okay, now, tell us where we come from. Okay. <clears throat> so, where we come from, obviously, uh, since we're looking at the development of the mind and the study of why we think the way we do, why we develop the way we do, it makes sense to go back and think of where we started. Now, the interesting thing is that if I say ancient times or, you know, some of the first human beings, I'm assuming that most of us would have more or less the same picture, thinking of the same picture more or less. Some of us might go to... Um, the North Americas and see Indians living in teepees and riding ponies, or there might be the image of um, Central America with the Aztecs, or South American Amazonian tribes. I don't think many of us would have the picture of ancient Asia and Asian kingdoms. Some of us might think of the image of ancient Africa, where there would be homesteads or even very successful kingdoms and tribal community living. We have to skip over that Neanderthal mm. image. For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. So study. that's the image of the guy either naked or with an animal skin, <laughs> with, a, with club, a club, goes and gets himself a, a woman, hit yeah. her over there. That, we've got to skip over that. So now, you can still find them in certain parts of Gauteng, so... <laughs> <laughs> you just have to go to the Nini, So, um, right, so the Neanderthal picture we skip, and then we pick the storyline up just after that. What's the oldest idea of human civilization that you have as a picture in your head? Hmm. So, 
or since some of us, most of us, would have our origin um, in Europe, Western origin, uh, some of us might not have even gone that far back. When we think of where we come from, some of us might have imagined or seen uh, 17th or 18th century France or England, where the judges wore those white wings, you know? Um, but the fact of the matter is that most of us would have had similar kind of pictures because of the information that has been presented to us as fact of those times. And most of your pictures come from movies. Mm -hmm. Right? Some of us might have still read some of these things and seen pictures in encyclopedias <laughs> in the library. But let's face it, most of the information we have either comes from the television or from what we see on the internet. And so it's certain information that was given to us pictures that have been given to us and obviously we interpreted it and now we have certain pictures and markers of our understanding of information and facts that were given to us. <clears throat> so, for instance, if I look at Anuska uh, and where she grew up, mm -hmm. I have to, I would never realize that the picture in her head of the olden days and the picture in my head of the olden days could be varied can even be different. Because, Aniska, where did you grow up? Serbia. Serbia. So that's East, considered Eastern Europe? Yeah, you can say. Eastern Europe. And it would slightly be different in its history and its social construct from Western Europe. But I've got no idea how different. Do you know how different it would have been? No, because we don't have context. Our reference points would have been England, France, Germany. maybe a little bit of Germany, Roman Empire maybe, that mm. forms a big picture of our world view in the past. We might go back to Egypt. We have some idea of Egypt, which is dependent on what movie you watched. <laughs> <laughs> Options. And that's, that's where we come from, that's where you, what's in your head. It's not the same as what's in the other guy's head. Necessarily. There might be similarities. So her idea of the olden days is the movie Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> no one said that. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was. Aspect of it. My idea of the old days is the three musketeers. Which is pride and prejudice, don't even lie. That's <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. They didn't sit around and do things, whatever you call them. They were fighting with swords. That's what the old days was about. Come on, eh? <laughs> okay. okay, but so the fact of the matter is, we are given, if we think... Hmm, Based on the facts that were given us, we've created a certain picture and understanding in our minds. Because we need to understand how we relate to the world around us. And because there was information available to us, we could form pictures based on fact. And this is part of the basic human development. 
all humans, humanity, to understand themselves, they need to understand themselves in context to the world around them. Mm -hmm. But now here's the thing. In human development and from very early on, obviously the information that we are lucky to have these days at our ease wasn't as freely available. And so in human development, the human mind needed to find ways to process and respond to what we're going to call the extra natural or the extraordinary. So anything that is extraordinary or extra natural to their normal world that they know, that they understand, that they live, that they can relate to in real terms. And we're not using the word supernatural because supernatural is specifically referring to the spiritual side of things and it's not just that. So, for example, um, <clears throat> before there was electricity in the year 972, someone might have been sitting in their village and it was dark at night and all of a sudden they would see an owl. And an owl wouldn't make any sense to them because birds don't fly at night. They can't even hear where the creature is coming from. Suddenly it's there, then it's gone. They can't find it during the day. It doesn't fly during the day. And because of a lack of information, in fact, their mind would still have to interpret what they saw. So they can't just ignore this experience. Their mind still has to process it somehow. And so the mind is going to process it in a, into a file that is operated by the imagination. And so what's going to happen is it's basically going to categorize it into imagination and then there's like three main streams. The one is superstition, the one is legend, and another is folklore. So superstition would be exactly that. There are spirits that fly at night. <laughs> So we have limited, so what the humans had to deal with is triggers, experiences, stimuli that they could not anchor in any fact. Unless that person found an owl nest later on and saw that owls actually have nests and that there's an egg and then there's, there was no context for it. And so superstition developed around what an owl is and what it does. Simply because it, didn't, it couldn't anchor what it experienced anywhere. Mm. And so superstition is a file that the humans created for the unexplained, the extraordinary, mm. or even the extra natural. Mm. And this would include things like that later on became natural phenomena, mm. but for them, lightning was mm. extra natural. They couldn't explain it, they didn't know where it came from. So because of a lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge and fact, <coughs> it still had to be processed. Mm. And so it was processed into a file of things that cannot be understood but need to be acknowledged. And that file is run by the imagination. Because the first time the little girl that's living in 972 or whatever experiences a lightning storm, She's going to run to her mother and say, what is that? Mm. The mother received an answer from her mother. 
the gods are angry. Hmm. That's it. Makes sense. It comes from above. And where's above? Where does it go and where does it end? It's going to go somewhere really dangerous because that's what is coming down from it. And so see how the process works. So folklore would be another uh, file, another thing created by the human consciousness where real stories could be filed because if they weren't there, it's based in actual events. So folklore would be the story of um, that for instance as well. But the fact is, even though it's based, even though it might be based on fact, no one, no one who's alive today, everyone who was there is now gone. So there's no way to, no one was there. And then it's of course, it's legend. And you know, legend is a combination between, maybe it was fact, maybe mm. it wasn't. Legend says. That's why they would usually add this, these words before they told the story. Legend has it. Legend has it. Because they're letting people know this is not folklore. Might have been, might have been exaggerated, but something happened. And this is the story. So legend has it. Okay. Now, why is it important for us to talk about this? Because we have to understand that our minds the human race we come from there that place <coughs> and the the intellectual faculty that was employed to deal with all these unknowns things that cannot be determined or explained that human faculty is called imagination but now we tend to think we're living in the year 2021 and our minds are quite advanced, the human race is quite advanced. We have basically anything we want to find out, we can find out fairly quickly. And uh, so because of this, surely, especially when we're a grown-up, there's very little knowledge that I have in my mind that's based on imagination. And surely we no longer have any superstition. No. No superstition. We don't live according to legend. Definitely not according to folklore. So it's become unpopular to have superstition in the Western mindset. Mm. Mm. Is this true for the whole world? Mm. Not even true. For example, Eastern nations are still very superstitious. Mm. You can be a very uh, educated and advanced intelligently person and still be superstitious and it's not a strange phenomenon. Okay, why is this important? Because we're trying to open our eyes to something that might still be existing in us. Mm. And so the, the thing with imagination is why it was filed where it was is because the brain and the mind and the person is perceiving something that's happening, they need to process the information, but it's not having a direct impact on them. Because the moment it does, it becomes fact. There's something concrete to relate to. And so because I see something there, my mind needs to process it, I put it in the 
imagination file of superstition and all of that. But so what happened through time as we developed is because of the advancement, because superstition seems like a strange idea in the times we're living in, and legend and folklore are no longer really valid, we've now combined all those things and we've called it fiction. Fiction. Because fiction is a very real part of our lives. We watch movies, and it's great. We see stories, we hear stories, and I believe the story, but it doesn't have a direct impact on me, and it's a story. So it's external, it's separate, it's there in the imagination. So we now have an, an acceptable category for stories. It's called fiction. But what has become fiction in our time, what has developed into being called fiction, used to be superstition, folklore and legend. Okay, now... What do we develop uh, from superstition? When you think superstition, you think you connect it easily with religion, with ideas of the spiritual realm, how things work. And that's the thing, there is extraordinary and extra natural things that impact our world that people perceive to be the demonic, hmm. ghosts. Angels. All these things. And so, what used to be superstitious could now be reworked and reformulated into to form part of religion. The difference between superstition and religion is religion has, is governed and organized. It's structured. Structured superstition. <laughs> Somebody decided to take all these undefined concepts that used to be superstition and if it was relevant to religion or to what we believe, our belief system connected to the divine then somebody went and formulated somebody decided we're going to regulate it, formulate it it's ordered and now we've got religion right? okay you can understand these are very important for us to understand what's going on in our mindset because we don't stop and think, how much of life am I interpreting through imagination? So remember, imagination is that faculty of the brain that goes, I don't really understand what's happening, but I need to process it. And so my mind's going to fill in the gaps to make it make sense in my mind, and then I'm going to store it. Imagination is the re-imaging technology that humans possess. <laughs> Because your, your brain, your mind, has to process the information that's presented to it. But because it can't always make sense of it according to the facts and the reality that it is living in, it needs to fill in the blanks so that it can somehow make sense. Mm -hmm. So that it can be processed. Right. Sure. So we know that this process is active in us all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, oh, uh, is our society, Western society, really free from superstition? <laughs> Not if you go to Christian church. <laughs> when we mention superstition, first thing we think is, well, African mm. traditional belief systems and stuff. No, you go to most churches that has a doctrine called tithing. Mm. 
you will find that superstition is right. alive and kicking. How can I say that? So, there is a biblical concept of tithing. But what has been connected by the reinterpreting of the human mind? In other words, so, imagination has to reinterpret our fears, our hopes, and our anxieties. Right, because those are in us. And so what happened in the Christian church is there's a concept of tithing. You bring 10% of whatever to the Lord. Now what is formed as a belief system in religion, not superstition, but religion, is that most people believe, consciously or subconsciously, that if they don't bring their tithing to the Lord, they will no longer be blessed, and that might even happen that they become cursed. Does that sound like superstition? Yes. Definitely. Superstition. It's not based in fact. The Bible doesn't say that. So what did the Catholic Church do? They just started promoting this superstitious idea and voila! Everybody's going to do the same thing. Right? Okay. So we can identify that superstition is silly when people spill salt and they throw it over their shoulder so that nothing bad happens to them. We can identify that doesn't make sense. But there's thousands of believers that somehow believe if they can't give their tithe or they don't give their tithe, even the ones that don't tithe are secretly scared that it's not going to go well with them. Superstition. It's exactly the same thing as the salt. Okay, now from there I think we can now go and have a look at our study about the brain. Ooh, are we plugged into the same thing? Yes, but you can, this one is very long. Okay. So, exception. I'm going to use my phone, which I normally wouldn't do. Because I had a decision to make. Do I try and memorize, memorize all of this? Or, just it, or do I just read it to you? <laughs> Seems like much easier not to memorize everything. Okay, I'm going to explain a basic construct. For the purposes of psychoanalysis that originated with Freud and was built upon by others. Basic construct. Okay. These are theoretical constructs that represent reality. Okay. So Freud came up with now continuously connect with what we know about our biblical processes. Freud theorized that there is a, an eye functioning in the brain. We know that the body talks about put off self, die to self. Okay. Freud, not coming from a religious background, theorized that somewhere in the brain, there's a part of the brain that represents I. And he formulated it in an ID. 
So now, somewhere there is this concept, and we're just talking about what he theorized, of id, or id, being there. What is id? What does it represent? And so science has now, over time, identified the place where we can find it. So we have the two lobes of the brain that folds over the part of the brain, I'm not going to go into the technical details, you can go have a look at it if you want. There's a part of the brain that fits in underneath like this, and that is the part of the brain that you have no control over. Okay. It's called the reptilian brain or the old brain. You have no control over it. That's the part of the brain that functions, keeps your heart going, and if you get a fright, causes you to scream, jump, shake, or run. That's involuntary responses. Okay. So we need that part of the brain where you cannot go into a deep thought process <laughs> when a lion is going to jump on you. That's when that part of the brain needs to take over and get you out of there. So we need that part of the brain. Okay. This part of the brain is responsible for sending impulses into the rest of our consciousness. So you're busy working, all of a sudden, you become acutely aware of the fact that you need to go to the loo. <laughs> it's not just that you need to go to the loo. It is screaming from the back of your head. <laughs> You better go now, otherwise we're going to have an oopsie. <laughs> right. Impulses comes from there. But there's more serious impulses that originates from there. Someone makes you an angry, the impulse to kill comes from there. Just because we're modern men and women, doesn't mean that impulse is gone. It's still there. We found ways to relieve the killing impulse. So we came up with swear words as human race. Sure. The fact is there's impulses that comes from that part of the brain. Now imagine if the impulses, sexual impulses, predatory impulses, selfish impulses, that originates in the part of the brain that you have no control over. Imagine if those impulses just related directly into action. Everybody would be killing everybody else. Right? I wonder how many children would actually survive their parents. <laughs> It's serious stuff, this. So we have impulses of love and affection and all kinds of things, but raw impulse comes from this real you. That's why it's called your ID, your I, your it. The real you is a dark, selfish, self-centered creature. We're talking about a person, normal person, born 
of, from, of flesh and blood. This is the part of ourselves that we don't want to know. Every person, no matter who you are, that part of your identity, that's actually the real ID identity, is dark, and it takes nothing moral into account whatsoever. If I'm hungry, I want to eat. I just need to find a bunny. <laughs> and for obvious reasons, it needs to be there. Exactly. It needs to be there for survival. These impulses need to be strong. So we can understand how different we are when it comes to impulses when we look at the tiger. The tiger will stop at nothing. To devour whatever will fit into its mouth when it's hungry. Okay, now, if this is true, and the theory is true, that there in this part of the brain where we have no control over anything, it's not a thinking brain, it's a functioning brain. In that part of the brain, all the impulses of life originate from there and it has to go and activate your system. That's correct. Then we, the next question is, why don't we respond to basic impulses directly? So there has to be something else in the brain that regulates what identity wants. Now, are you starting to see how this could be extremely important in understanding our spiritual walk? A repentance, responses to the Word, responses to God. Because the thing is, we have a... We find what we think we are, what our identity is. We want to not look at that part of ourselves and say, that's who I actually am. That's what brings us to personality. So if we just take it to its simplest form, what Freud did was he now constructed a theoretical part of the person that's called ego. Ego. And so ego has to play a role in stopping ID from doing what it wants. Okay, but then he theorized the third part of that identical triunion. Uh, the identity triunion. Three parts. It's the superego. He called it the superego. I still think the name could have been better, but superego. Now, let's start to explain what the superego does for the person and the functioning of the person. The superego is from where we're looking at. So we can't look at everything a psychologist says, but we have a slant. We're looking for something. Mm. At a specific dynamic. We're looking for the things that can cause us to become more godly, to change, change behavior, change thinking, change emotions, change impulses. And according to Freud, superego is the place where we accumulate moral information. 
the things that are going to govern us. But in other words, whatever we think is right and wrong, whatever we consider to considers to be good and right. So there's a part of your brain that's it, ID, identity. That's the little dark, self-centered, selfish baby you. If it doesn't get food now, it's going to scream. And hungry was born. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the picture of that part of you. Where's the pet? Where's the thing? You're going to have to get me. Uh, we'll take this one. Okay. Um, right. Now, keep in mind what we've done last week and the week before. We're talking, we're still in the process of talking about self-consciousness. Now we have, in the person, we have the dark one. Identity. The dark one. True story. Yeah. Yeah, <coughs> you have super ego. Now that, that you could picture as super nanny or super non nanny. nanny. Oh. That is the perfect morally religious perfect you. It is unable to compromise on what it believes to be right. It will. It will from absolute. It's unable to compromise on what it believes is right. It functions on absolutes. It's rigid, uncompromising. If it believes something is right, it wants to do that. This wants to do whatever self wants to do. <coughs> that part of you wants to do whatever's right. And it works according to extremes. That's the religious nut in you. Which is also why we use full measures. <coughs> okay. Now, if you just left these two. So now your head becomes a boxing ring, mm. or a kickboxing ring, if you want. And if you just leave these two alone with each other, they'd be kicking mm -hmm. the crap out of each other all day long. <laughs> does that sound familiar? You can't say that on camera in church. <laughs> <coughs> so does, does that sound familiar? Have you had times where it feels like the two you in you just cannot stop beating up on each other? We've all been there. So this super nanny, nun, super nanny, Mother Teresa in you, wants to sacrifice everything and feed the poor. And we need that to balance this one out. But the two of them cannot function alone, and that's where ego comes in. So ego is the middleman. Ego is the referee. Ego has a function. It negotiates. 
negotiator. So you have super nanny, the dark one, and the negotiator. He has a suit and everything. Oh. I shouldn't say that. Did you see ID and Super Ego? Why do, you, why do I picture Denzel Washington when I picture the negotiator? I don't know why. But anyway, so, right. Denzel Washington in there. He's going to sort everything out. Okay. <laughs> Mal Gibson over here. He just wants to destroy everything. <laughs> and there, there's a lady with an umbrella dancing on the hillside. So, now, we have these three characters, and this will help us, thank you to Freud and others, to figure out what the heck is going on with our spiritual lives. Because, again, even though we go like, okay, but psychology found this, and the way they applied it isn't applicable to us, it's still data that they accumulated. Mm. There's certain functionings that are happening that are happening in the brain and it's happening in your brain and it's happening in my brain. And if we can understand how it works, then we can understand how to apply the word and walk out the word with the information that we have. So there's some things that we can't consider everything today. We'll probably have a second session on this, but some of the things we've got to consider is that from the moment that you start, you enter the world, your brain is going to start to accumulate data and it's going to store it in the same place. And in that same place, it's going to store whatever is negative, whatever hurts you. And in the same place, it's got a, another thing that's going to store data on reward, pleasure. Pleasure motivation. But the thing is, the reason why the brain stores all of this in the same place, the same locale, it's because it needs to balance these things, play it off against each other all the time so that you can use it to make decisions. And in the perfect design, this would have been great. Good things would have been rewarding and bad things would have been rejected because it hurts us, makes us uncomfortable, causes us discomfort or injury. But then humanity weird creature, somehow finds that LSD is filed in the reward file. Yes, it's going to kill me, destroy my relationships, and get me <coughs> living on the street, but the reward is good enough. See how things can go wrong in the brain's system. Brain system. From the outside, you look at the use of a dangerous drug, hallucinate, and you go, how can this person not figure out that the reward does not mm. warrant the risk? Okay, so we have all been accumulating certain little bits of information, but life happens, things happen. There's forms of abuse, rejection, separation, we develop separation anxieties, connections to abuse. And so this messes with the basic system mm -hmm. where we file positive things and negative things, reward and 
injury. Mm. Does it make sense? Mm. <coughs> and this is all going to have influences on this. Now, if we are aware of the fact that I've been storing information all my life, and it's going to influence my basic impulses, because this guy is going to send through impulses according to the information, billions upon billions of little megabytes of information that's been stored mm. and kept there. And this guy is going to send impulses through according to what's happening mm. in those two files. Because life is not nice and neat the way God intended it, those files are corrupted. No wonder this guy starts wanting things it's not supposed to want. The only thing that's going to save him is if the right information gets stored there. Because this, you see the place in the brain where reward and danger or pain is stored. You can't go and erase or change that information. There is an aspect, I believe, where we can lay hands and pray for renewal in that part of the brain. And it is effective. But that's supernatural. But you can't actively go and decide, I'm going to look at this memory and then change the memory and change the associations. And To some degree, we can mitigate the effects, but we cannot necessarily go and reprogram. But this can change. This is a learning part of the brain. It's constantly re-evaluating information and learning. And so now, according to what the understanding that Freud gave us, and it is subsequently been uh, substantiated by research, they've tried to uh, find out where <coughs> ego is situated and where superego is situated, and they have discovered I'm going to read that for, for us from here, so I don't get it wrong. And again, we're not going to go too technical. Um, so, science have been trying through MRI machines and all kinds of scanning uh, technology to find out where ego is. There's going to be some system that organizes everything else in, that's happening in the brain. Now we've got to understand that there is a complex system of uh, signals streaming through the brain from all the areas of the brain. And this has to stream through different areas, <coughs> hook up with other pieces of information and then be processed so that we can function. It's as complex as it gets, but this says, this article says, recently scientists have been able to identify a small part inside the frontal portion of brain as the seat of <coughs> ego. Now we're not saying this is fact. We're just saying that there's certain information that correlates with what we see in our behavior and our desire to renew the mind. And in our experience, we have seen, because we have gone onto a process that most humans wouldn't go into, we've seen that there's struggles, we gain ground, we lose ground, we grow, and then it seems we regress. Why? Okay. 
So science has found that a place in the brain is the seat of ego, consciousness and sense of self. According to them, in the area is called anterior cingulate cortex, ACC, and fronto-insular cortex, yeah, thank you, lies, <laughs> the sense of ego or awareness. Now, here's the important piece of information. In these areas are also found densely packed von economo, you write economo twice there, von economo neurons. Have you, have, do you possess knowledge of these? No. Now, th this was discovered a long time ago already, in the 1920s. But it's only recently that they started figuring out what they do. Okay. So we call them VENs, V-A-N, V-E-N. These neurons were named after a German scientist, Konstantin von Economo. Konstantin. Mm. <laughs> and he discovered these neurons in the late 1920s. But only recently have they been thoroughly studied and scientists believe that they help to give us a sense of I. Empathy and to organize and monitor other parts of the brain. Listen carefully, it gives us a sense of I, empathy, and to organize and monitor other parts of the brain. It is as if these neurons, which are just a few hundred thousand in number, that's not a lot, are like a, a symphony, director and direct our thoughts and help in our concentration. Just like a symphony director who does not play an instrument himself but directs other players, Venus do not produce any thought themselves but direct other thoughts. This is where the interesting bit sure. comes in. The Venus are different and much bigger, 50 to 200 percent bigger than the other brain neurons. They are ca characterized by having a single branch. Very, very important. They are characterized by having a single branch through which the signals flow. In the other neurons, there are many branches emanating from each of them, which attach to other neurons and hence the signals flow through all the branches to form neural pathways, memory and thought. The single branched bigger veins on the other hand allow much more rapid transfer of information and processing since they are faster conducting than the regular neurons and also the signal goes only through a single branch. You can go and read the rest of these articles, very interesting. Okay, so what are we dealing with? I said we're not going to do all the technical stuff. We're going to, the mission is to try and simplify it without corrupting the information. Right, so we have a principle called beginning and end. The idea behind the principle beginning and end is to develop single-mindedness. So what 
we're actually doing is we are working together with our brain to utilize Venn's in the most effective way possible. We are in a simple process of using what God created in there to regulate thoughts, to come to clear and quick decisions, we're in the process of basically just making the most of what God gave us in the first place. Mm. Single-mindedness, single thoughts, A to B, and the way that the brain does this is through neurons that's between 50 and 200% larger than the others and has only one branch, an in and an out. Where another neuron might look like this. And that leads to this. <laughs> if there's nothing to straighten it out. That's basically what science has found. The Bible says double-minded man is unstable in all these ways. Mm. Freud said, something has to sort out this mess. <laughs> and he came up with a theoretical construct called ego. Science now believe that they found the place where most of these veins are concentrated and it correlates with other studies that was trying to find where ego is situated. So now they've identified more or less two places, two main places in the brain where ego functions. Now what does ego do? With all this information that ego has cells that, that directs the important pieces, the important um, signals. It can choose signals and direct it fastest, fast-tracked it through the system, while other flows of signals has to go via other portions of the brain and flow through many neurons and be combined with many other impulses and, 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 and flows to have a result, these veins can decide this one is the right one and I'm going to fast-track it so that I can make quick decisions, cognitive decisions. Okay. This becomes extremely important when an abnormal trigger has caused ID to go kill. ID was offended and it goes kill. If Venz could not send a very quick <coughs> message through that says internalize your urge to kill, then ID ends up in jail. That's the really dramatic part of it. But we have this process going on all day long. According to what is ego going to make that decision? According to the information stored in superego. Superego is where we 
store the information on what is right and wrong, moral values. And in our case, we no longer work according to moral values or socialized or... Um, um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, politically correct. Politically correct. Uh, ah, what's the word? Does it learn behavior? Culture. So moral or cultural, we no longer function according to moral or cultural information because that's what other people have there. They might even have incorporated religious ideas. So what we do is the Bible says renew the minds. What we are doing is we are wiping all other information from this part of the brain and filling it with what the Bible says. Specifically, understanding of what the Bible says. Because information is not stored here. The understanding of the information is stored there. Yeah. Now, what happens when this is completely filled with as much as possible for a human to understand what the Word of God says? That is going to now tell ego how to regulate the rest of the person. But that's not even the beautiful part of what God has given us. See, for a normal person born of flesh and blood, ID is a dark, selfish, self-centered persona. Cannot change. It's like that for everyone. There's no variations. It is a reptilian, undeveloped, Savage. unchanging part of the brain. You can't fiddle with it. Um, natural selection and learned, be learned behavior cannot mess with it too much because then people are no longer scared or fearful of dangerous things and they die. Well, that's happening, isn't it? But anyway, so we have in our scriptures a big message in the Bible that says, if you die to yourself in baptism and are resurrected, you become a new creation. Mm. We know it's got something to do with ID, don't we? So what is this thing that God does that causes us to be a new creation? Well, what happens if the thing that no information, no learning behavior can change, what if that is the place where God goes and He forgives that. If you want to know how powerful His blood is, He goes and He forgives the basic human nature that we're born with. It's going to, it's going to drive all the impulses. Every basic impulse is going to originate there. And He gives us that, that which was recreated in the image of the one who created us. The perfect and full righteousness and holiness of Yahweh. What if he... Now this is a theory. That's consistent with what science has seen and consistent with what the Bible is saying and it's the only thing that explains why we experience new impulses. If he 
takes this part of the brain physiologically and he replaces his image with that which drives humanity. Mm. The basic driving system. And now all we have to do is a reprogram mm. superego with the right information so that those two are now, instead of traditionally in every human being being opposed forces, they become agreeing forces. Mm. Hmm. The ego is going to get us to do what both are agreeing to do. Mm. God might have just re revealed to us mm. how the whole thing works. Mm. And it's new to me too. I knew about these things from long, long ago. I rejected most of it. God started speaking to me about developing understanding. Mm -hmm. And then it took me here. Yes. Understanding would be a phenomenal thing in a human mind if this is no longer impacted by the old man that used to be. This is completely renewed to what the word really says. And this part of us, the willingness to do what should be done, is going to execute it all the time. Because that's where the bends are. That's going to sift through all the different impulses and fast-track the ones that should be chosen. The conflict inside of you can end. Now we are aware of the fact that they could be dangerous. Because on the way there, we're talking about a superhuman developing, in effect. Freud would tell you this would be impossible couldn't happen. The best we can do is try and bring it to a balance. Now that's where we want to start. In our process of discipleship, a well-functioning, healthy person is the one that balances, listen carefully, ego's job is to balance what we perceive ourselves to be on the inside with our outside world. That's what ego does. A person gets angry when his inside world is conflicted by something from the outside world. We get scared when, when what, who I think I am, what I think my world should look like, when that which is inside no longer is equal to or balancing out with what is outside. That's when we get scared or angry. Ego finds a way to restore some kind of balance. Ego finds a way. The problem with ego is, and we're going to talk about that next time, is because ego is the negotiator, it can find the piece of information that's stored there in the files that contains what's right, what's true, 
it can find a piece of corrupt information that can make ID happy, if need be. So when ID is screaming like a baby, and ego realizes that the plain truth is not going to make ID happy, it's going to search the files to find a piece of information that is going to make ID happy. Or at least happy enough. For now. We can talk about the truth later, just get him to shut up. Pretty impressive. Mm. I'm, I'm reiterating this is hugely simplified. But we're talking about the basic things that's happening inside of you. And if you go think about it, you'll recognize this. Now, why did we start with self awareness? Because first we want to develop the ability to look at ourselves. To step back and go, this is, what happened, that's, this is what's happening with me. There's an impulse that comes through, it's strong. My brain is now going to have to very quickly check the records of what is acceptable, what is right, before I act. And that's when we have anger outbursts that's unchecked. In here, I have a piece of information that says, no matter what, I'm right. This one says, I'm angry, I'm right. And if ego finds that piece of information in there, I'm going to go, I'm right. No matter what the facts on the table says. So, this is introductory. Okay. <coughs> Because the moment you start practicing looking in there and, and it goes because you're accessing a vast world on the inside and it's going to make you tired, that's normal. But I'd like for you to go and decide, do you want to go down this path? Do you want to find the keys to the actual mystery of renewing the mind? So what I'm saying is that these are really supernatural spiritual concepts. But God is, like He does, He has hidden inside of us the keys to unlocking everything that He says in His Word. And He would raise up someone as much an atheist as you can get, like Freud, to formulate some and speculate on some things that we can go investigate. And if we're willing to really just be humble and look at what is lying around, the, around us in the world, some pieces of information are there. There's a lot more to this. I mean, we can literally talk about this the whole day. It gets so interesting. Mm -hmm. But we can't. Why did we start with uh, the extra natural things and how we process it? Because what I want you to go and think about is is there any chance that we take some of our discipleship, some <coughs> of our experience in the Word of God, and we, without realizing, file it in the 
file that says what if that happens? What if we accidentally, hmm. when we don't fully understand things, we don't file it there, hmm. we it's file it in the fiction file. And then the fiction isn't, I don't believe it. It's true, I believe the story. I just can't really make sense of it. So I'm going to store it in a file where it doesn't impact me directly because I don't understand. You. <laughs> That's what we're going to explore. Mm -hmm. We're going to start discovering and allow the Holy Spirit to show us there's parts of what we think we believe that's actually been filed in the fiction part. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to use you as an example. You don't like it. Do you, in the beginning especially, you hated the idea of dealing with demons and the fact that they exist. So you always knew that there was such a thing, but you filed it in the fiction file without realizing because how does it become fact? You see, what we do, when we don't want to deal with something, or we can't, or we don't have enough information, without realizing, there's this huge fiction file. Everything goes in there now. <laughs> we use it all the time. If we want to lie, but we don't want to acknowledge that it's a lie. Mm. We just go and find it in the fiction file. Then it's not a lie, it's just fiction. It's neither true nor false. It's just fiction. Mm. What do you want to say? I just wanted to say, for example, I don't know if this happened to anyone else. Uh, when I got saved and started reading the Bible, I first, there was this realization, this process that he helped me with where the Bible needed to change from a fictional mm. book that I believed. I believed the story, but it wasn't having a direct impact on me mm. and it was stored as fiction. And I had to go through a process where I had to teach myself that Paul was a real man who walked the earth and held a pen and wrote the letters, that the Lord himself was a man that actually died on a cross and it wasn't just the story of, oh, there was a man 2,000 years ago with 12 other men who followed him and then he died on the cross. Nice story. But because I, I wasn't there, I don't have the facts, it's not directly impacting me, so it's fiction. Next thing? So, that's very important. So, can I tell you something that's going to shock you? All of you would have had to file the information about dinosaurs in your fiction file. Mm. But when you access it, you think you're accessing accepted mm. truth files. Because it's based on facts that were presented to you, but there was a lot of information missing that your mind had to fill. Gaps that your mind had to fill. Because you can see a picture of a T-Rex, fine. But the moment you think of a T-Rex on the continent Pangaea, Pangaea, you're using your imagination. And mm. to a big extent, it's fiction. So we're going to now have a very gentle process of just probing and seeing if any of the things that we are supposed to seriously believe and live according to has been only or partially filed in the fiction file, where I've been 
embellished by fiction. Sure. That's why the people out there in the world that say they believe in God are not scared of going to hell. Mm. Although they know that they're not, they don't know His word, they're not obeying Him and not living for Him, but they're not scared of going to hell. Why? Because they took hell and filed it in the fiction file. It's no longer dangerous. Mm. They think they believe it, they know about it, but it's fiction. Don't really understand it, so... And now, because it's in the fiction file, because it's in the fiction file, it can't directly impact me, because mm -hmm. it's fiction. So, if I need it to directly... If I really... If I say I believe in aliens, and it's true, then obviously my life is going to look a whole lot different, because now that means it has to... That fact has to directly impact my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a bit weird, according to all of you. But so, I can go, yes, I believe in aliens, and put it in the fiction file, which means now it doesn't need to directly impact me. I don't have to live according to it or anything. It's not that I don't believe that aliens exist, it's just in the fiction file. So a big portion of religion evolved from superstition. They only got some pieces of information from the Bible, and a lot of people that's in religion are not quite sure if they believe in the authenticity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. They've accepted some facts as probable facts. Mm -hmm. They're not sure if they actually accept this as authoritative. And so it was just in line with modern thinking, better to take it out of superstition file and put it in a religion file. That's better. It fits more into who we think we are. But if you really push that person that says they believe in God, you find out they don't actually believe in God. Because mm -hmm. it was a fictional religious file. Not based on fact. It had some very scant facts on it, but they don't actually trust where the facts came from, so it cannot be fact. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a lot more obviously to it. We want to make sure that we find in ourselves the discrepancies. Because now we're in the process, we grew to a certain degree. We, 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 there was maturing. Everybody here showed maturing. Because of the supernatural working of God. And next week we're going to talk about why this is completely renewed, but we can still go back to the old man. We're going to talk, explain why this can happen. This will explain why personality is perceived the way that it is. And so we're going to explain a lot more about that. But, if this was completely renewed, if that's the new man that the Bible talks about, or at least the physiological place where we can experience new man, where it technically, practically impacts us, then it means that we have to figure out how to only operate from there. Mm -hmm. And if we have replaced false information with biblical understanding, how do we only operate from that? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. this is the part of you that can choose to do that. Mm -hmm. Can decide to do that. And if we can line those basic systems that's functioning anyways, we can line it up. 
we're going to see the next season of growing. It should help us to get there. Okay, makes sense. Now think about it. If you most welcome to go read about these things, don't go down rabbit holes. We're talking about many years of many different people with many perspectives doing research. We have a focal point, that's why we're looking at it. Okay? It makes does it make sense? Let's just we're not teaching anymore, let's quickly does it make sense that we have, we identify there's a part of our brain that gives through irrational impulses. Mm -hmm. Have you identified that? Mm -hmm. And we all know the struggle when you want to not respond to the impulse, but the impulse is so strong. And while we still thought that was all me, it was so complicated to try and sort it out because if we don't have the concept of stepping away from my thoughts, my impulses and my emotions, and here I am looking at it, I can look at it, I can deal with it. See, that makes it easier, and you've, uh, I'm sure most of you have realized you can do that. Mm -hmm. But while I still thought that my thoughts and my emotions was me, mm -hmm. it was impossible to deal with strong impulses. Mm -hmm. Strong impulses, and my brain still wanted to start working on it, and then it overwhelmed you. Just overwhelmed you. It's usually just to give you a, a look into some of the teachings in the future. This is connected to um, fear, anxiety, uh, self-doubt, um, all those things. So we're going to look at how this part responds when we want to take the challenge on, but the impulses causes us to shrink back because of a lack of self um, confidence mm -hmm. and where that came from. So we're going to look at how that works. Okay, but just for now, asking you, is it making sense? Mm -hmm.